have a great privilege this morning to have bringing us the word this morning, uh, Steve Oswald and his wife, Kathy. Uh, Steve and Kathy are uh, mission mobilizers in the Northern Plains District and also the district that reaches into Minnesota. And so uh, without further ado, I'm going to have Steve come up and Kathy come up also. Would you give them a warm welcome? Good morning, everyone. Nice to see your cheering, smiley faces today. We're Stephen Kathy Ostfeld. We live in Fergus Falls. We're some of your missionaries. And as Scott mentioned, we work as mission mobilizers. So we know the word missions, right? Uh, So that's what we do. But the word mobilizers may be a different word that might be somewhat new to you. So think of mobilize, it's like an action activity. We like to have churches get involved in missions and individuals get involved. So to mobilize, got it? Now, my wife has some opportunities that she'd like to share with you, my dear. Hello. Well, this is my second time up here this morning, and I can expand a little bit on what we're doing with Asia Justice Initiatives, and it's been for several years partnering with believers in India and now also in Thailand that are working in ways to prevent um, women from either getting into the trafficking or else coming out of that with aftercare or else just living in very difficult situations within their homes. So through that, we have started a training center called Shabola, which means lifting women up, and that's right outside, outside of Calcutta in the villages there. And then as they finish that training program, then a business has started, which we call Shristi, and that means... Uh, creation, as we think of them becoming new life in, in, in Christ as they learn to know about Jesus Christ and true freedom in him. So in that, we, um, they're working to make different products, which Steve will help show a few of these items. This one's unique, a uh, carrying bag, but it also has the woman signs her name on that. So we have that one, and then there's another style here. Um, sorry, these aren't men's bags, but um, there are some men's wallets. That's a different ministry, but you can check those out. Those are just a few of the items that we have. Our business has been registered here in the States as well, so it, it's an easy way for me to get the products and to, to bring out, but it's also ways that, that you individually, if you would want to host an event to sell these products, that you could order those, so I have information about that. Uh, we also have things from Thailand as well, so you can, can look at those. We also are, of course, want people to pray because it's not just about buying products and giving our money, but also praying for God to work and and make a difference in the lives of these women and their families. Besides working with Asia Justice Initiatives, I'm also involved with the Children's Ministry Global Fingerprints as a child sponsorship of the Evangelical Free Church in nine different countries now. Uh, We are in India and working with some programs that have been reaching out to children, but just giving them those extra funds so children can be going to school, and then there's after-school tutoring programs. Uh, They receive a meal or a snack, and then uh, regular visits in their home and other health and nutritional needs uh, that that arise in their family. So we are looking for more sponsors in our program. I have some cards printed out, child cards. Uh, You can also go online to globalfingerprints.org and select the country and child there, but the 16-year-old Ambika is her name, and so she is in our program, and we have eight-year-old Jeet um, that is there, so 
Those are just a few of the children. If you are not part of a sponsorship program, or even if you are, uh, it's, it's really, in many ways, it's anti-trafficking. We say, what can we do to stop this whole issue of human trafficking? And by sponsoring a child, they have a little more of a safety net, uh, someone watching out for them and praying for them, so, and giving them opportunity for an education and to hear about Jesus, of course. So thank you. Thank you, Kathy. The first service, I had an elephant up here, and it's, we've, I pulled its ears back so its eyes could see. And uh, they were all sold. The whole herd was sold after the first service. And the reason why people were attracted to that is because on these elephants, you don't have to feed them. So that was attractive. And so there's one little more, there's one little $5 elephant left, a little one like this, and like three little bears. And you don't have to feed the bears either. So in case you want to stop by. So thank you, Kathy. Uh, it's a real privilege for Kathy and I to be here this weekend. We had a great time yesterday at the Global Outreach Summit. We had probably around 50 people or so from 12 different churches and a lot of different uh, kind of uh, training events, and it was really just a great day together. Um, today, I'm going to be speaking about what is God doing in our world today, but I also want to look at Scripture to see what has he done in the past. So let's pray, and, and then we'll look at God's Word. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Faith Evangelical Free Church. Thank you for the witness of this church in this city and in many places around the world. I thank you for the missionaries they support. And Lord, I pray for us today, as we are here, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you'd give us ears to hear what we should hear. And Lord, may we learn what we're supposed to do as well with your heart for the peoples of the world. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your word. And Lord, this is your time, and may we... Uh, hear what you have to tell us. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like you to take your Bibles as we get started here. I want to do a little quick foundation before we kind of jump into what we're talking about, but I want to look at one key verse right in the beginning of Acts. So if you take your Bibles, you probably, many of you maybe know this verse, but in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, these are some of the last words of Jesus before his ascension to heaven. And it's an important verse because, in a sense, this verse is kind of um, the theme verse for the book of Acts. And it's also, in a sense, a theme verse for what we're talking about today. Acts 1.8. And this is, I'm just jumping right in the middle here. I'm not reading it all, but just this verse. But you shall receive power. Jesus is talking to the disciples but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witness, witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So what Jesus is telling his disciples here, they're supposed to wait until the power of the Holy Spirit comes, which happens in the next chapter when Pentecost comes. And then he says, you shall be my witnesses. Now, my translation says, my witnesses. It's not just you shall be witnesses, but he says, my witnesses. So we're supposed to go out and represent Jesus Christ as his witness. 
So he says, you shall be my witnesses, and then he tells us where to go. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the remotest part of the earth. So it's through power, it's through the Holy Spirit, it's being a witness for Jesus, and then he t- tells the geographical areas here. So that, that's kind of the foundation of what we're going to look at. Now, what I want to do uh, just quickly today is what I believe is happening, actually happened in the first century. Think about this thought. I think God in all generations has a special work that he is doing. I think there's a special work that's happening in our world today. And I also think back in the first century, there was a special work that was happening back then. So we're going to look at one of these back then, and then we're going to talk about what's happening. Now we're kind of going to go from first century to now and first century to now. Okay? You're with me? So turn with me to Acts chapter 7, and we're going to read just the end of that here about the death of Stephen as he was being persecuted. So Acts chapter 7, we're just jumping in the story here again. Acts chapter 7, verse 59, and we'll read into the early part of chapter 8. Acts seven fifty-nine, And they went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. And those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. So my contention is today that one of the great works of God in the first century, um, you wouldn't think of this happening as it were, but it was the persecution of Christians that brought about the expansion of the church. So when Stephen was being persecuted here, Saul was in hearty agreement who later became the Apostle Paul. And we see that there was a great persecution arose against the church. They were in Jerusalem. And they were, it says here in, in this first verse, they were scattered throughout all the region of Judea and Samaria. Remember in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So here, the first part where they were in Jerusalem, that's where they were, the persecution brought them to Judea, And Samaria. And it says, Saul began ravaging the church. So it wasn't just a quiet kind of persecution, but it was a radical persecution. He was ravaging the church, entering house after house. So he wasn't just going to where they were worshiping, but house after house, dragging off men and women, and he'd put them in prison. So, I mean, it was a difficult time for these believers. And then look what they did again. Those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. So they weren't just in Jerusalem anymore, but they were scattered now because of the persecution, and they were preaching the word. 
Keep that thought in mind. Now turn over to Acts chapter 11, and we're going to see what happens next. It's just such an interesting story. Acts chapter 11, verse 19 Acts eleven nineteen. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and been speaking the, to Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So what you have here, you, you've got people who are going out because of the persecution. Some are going just talking to the Jewish people. And then you've got others here who are actually coming to the city of Antioch. And now they're speaking to Greeks who are, not again, non-Jewish people. And what are they doing? They're, they're preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this whole thing is orchestrated by God. We don't think about that with persecution, but it's orchestrated by God for people to go out. They were preaching the word. They were preaching the Lord Jesus, and they're going. Well, that's what I think happened in the first century. I want to talk just a little bit here about what's happening today with persecution. This is kind of a side note, but we need to talk about it. With the area of persecution of Christians, last year they're estimated that there were 90,000 Christians around the world that were killed for their faith. People are saying that's one every five or six minutes a believer is killed around the world for their faith. More Christians are being killed than any other major religion in the world today. So why is that important? Well, I think we should be praying for believers who are facing persecution, for, for them to be strong and, and in their witness. We should be praying for the persecutors, like Saul, who later was, became the Apostle Paul. Pray that persecutors as well would come to know Christ. That's something that's important, I think, that all of us can do. That's just a side note that I, I think is important for us. Well, the second part what I want to tell you about today is what about the work of God today? The first century, that was that persecution that drove the Christians out and they went to, from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and then to the Greeks there in Antioch. But what, what about today? What's going on today? I think there's one thing, but it's kind of two things. It can be together but separate, and you'll, I hope you follow with what I'm saying here. One of the works of God today is the whole diaspora of refugees. One out of eight people in the world today is a refugee. Many Muslims and Christians are coming out of Middle East conflicts in Iraq and Syria, for instance. They're going to moderate Muslim countries like Jordan and Lebanon, Many hundreds of thousands of them are going to Europe. Kathy and I had a team the other year to Berlin, and we were there in Berlin, and we saw literally hundreds of people that every day they go out 7 in the morning to 7 o'clock at night, and they're waiting for their number to be called to be approved to come in. 
but they just stand there and they wait. One guy we had visited with, he'd been waiting a whole month. He just comes in every day and he's waiting for his number to come before he can be interviewed and approved. I mean, they're just coming, thousands and hundreds of thousands of them. And some are even coming to the United States. But let me tell you something you don't hear in the news. In Germany, in Berlin, last year, there were 1,200 Muslims who believed in Jesus Christ and were baptized in a church. 1,200. And they were uh, from Afghanistan and Iran. In Hamburg, there were 900 Pakistanis and Afghanistans coming to faith in Christ. Not just only believing, but also being baptized. In refugee camps, churches are starting up and people are coming to Christ. In Lebanon, there's an evangelical free church in Beirut that's ministering to refugees and also has a global fingerprints program. And they're seeing people come to Christ. There's thousands of Muslims who are coming to Christ in Africa. I was in Sierra Leone a couple of years ago, and we were going around and visiting these simple churches. They told me the number of Muslims who had come to Christ already in an eight-year period. And then afterward, they said, maybe we shouldn't have told you that number, because if that number ever gets out, it's going to create rioting on the streets. So they told us, you, you can't even tell anybody. So I haven't even told Kathy the number. Because they said you can't tell anybody. But it's literally tens of thousands of Muslims in Africa that they've seen come to Christ. For example, when Ramadan comes in Sierra Leone, they will call up the local mosque and they'll say, you know, Ramadan is here. Uh, can we come over and clean the mosque for you during this special time? Well, who would say no to that? There's a book that came out the other year. It's called The Wind in the House of Islam. And what's happened here with this book, they're saying now for the first time in the history of Islam, there are now 69 movements of Muslims coming to faith in Christ around the world. Now, a movement is 100 churches or more or 1,000 baptized believers or more, and they're saying this, they're doing this within a 20-year window frame, but there's 69 movements of when, when um, David Garrison was writing this book. That has never happened in the history of Islam before. There's maybe been one here and one there just scattered, but not 69 going on. For the first time in history, what I'm trying to say, for the first time in history, there are literally tens of thousands of Muslims who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. You can say amen to that. I mean, it's really amazing. And some of these, a lot of these, are are these refugees who are leaving the, the Middle East where it's really difficult, and they're leaving, and they're open, and they're searching, and they're coming to faith in Christ. Now, not all the Muslims are refugees where they're going, like a lot of places in Africa. So that's why it's like two but separate things. So there's two movements, Muslim coming to faith in Christ, but refugees who are many, mostly Muslim who are also open to seeking about Jesus Christ. Well, you say, what's the attraction? 
of Christianity. It's the love of God. It's the forgiveness of sin. It's the assurance of eternal life. It's the witness of other Christians. It's the power of the word of God. It's the rejection of extremism in their own religion. It's dreams and visions where Jesus is appearing to them and they're asking, who is this? They're estimating a conservative number is 10 million Muslims have come to faith in Jesus Christ. 10 million. They don't know the number for sure, but a conservative number is 10 million out of the 1.6 billion Muslims. But think of this. This has never happened before in history, but it's happening now. This You know, first century, it was the persecution of Christians, and they were going out to all these areas. Now, Muslims are going to many new areas, often as refugees. They're coming to us, and they're open to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you think God has any part in the movement of this? I think so. There's a work of God that's happening that's never happened before. So I'm saying it's happening now in our lifetime. Well, let's go back to the first century just for a little bit. All of this persecution was taking place. People were going to Antioch. What made this work of God in Antioch so successful? Well, let's take a look at God's word again here. It's really exciting stuff, I think. Can I say stuff about... I'll use Anyway, I'm not your pastor, so I can say that. Okay. Look back, Acts chapter 11. Let's read again from verse 19. So those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to Jews alone. And there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and been speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. So the first point here of a successful work of God that takes place, that's long-lasting, that's multiplying, that creates a movement of churches, is evangelism. It says a large number here turned to the Lord. You see at the end of verse 24, it said also in considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. So it's not just one event, but it's evangelism that continues to take place. Well, you say, what is evangelism? Evangelism is telling the good news of Jesus Christ. It's really a few words in my Bible what it says. It says, believe, they believed and turned to the Lord. So one of it, it's an intellectual belief. Okay, I believe that Jesus Christ lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again, he ascended into heaven. That's belief, okay? We can believe that intellectually, but it might not change our life. I mean, we can say, okay, we believe that happened. But here it says they believed, and not only did they believe, but it said they turned. It said they believed and turned to the Lord. There was a change of life for them. They were idol worshipers before. They weren't religious people in the sense like we might consider them, but they were idol worshipers, not worshiping the living God. They believed and they turned to the Lord. So it's a change of life. It's a change of direction of what they're doing. I mean, it was really exciting what's taking place. It's the word of God that was going forth. They were preaching the Lord Jesus. 
Well, what happens then? Go on here. In the next verse, news about this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And what did they do? The second thing takes place. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now, are you acquainted with Barnabas? Barnabas is known as a son of encouragement. He should be a friend of all of ours. He was a son of encouragement. What's the best kind of person to send to young believers? An encourager. What did these young believers need? They needed discipleship. So what happened? Take a look. Barnabas came in verse 23. He came, he saw, he witnessed the grace of God. So as evidence of fruit of changed lives, he began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. So here's this man who's walking with God. He's an encourager. He meets with all of these young believers, and he's encouraging them to continue in their walk with God. Look at the next verse, verse 24. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. So not only was he an encourager, but he was, you could say he's an example. He was a mentor, um, a model of what it was like to live a Christian life. And it says right after that, and considerable numbers, many more were brought to the Lord. So many came to Christ before he was there, and after he was there, even more people were coming to Christ. And then um, Barnabas realized, this is kind of getting too big for me, so he goes down in the next verse, verse 25, and he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and it came about for that entire year they met with a church and taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So here you've got all these young believers. Evangelism has taken place. Now discipleship is taking place. And what they needed to do, they, want, they spent a whole year with this young group of believers training them. Now, I don't know what all they talked about, but you know they taught for a whole year all of these young believers. So discipleship is encouraging, it's modeling, it's teaching, it's mentoring, all of those kind of things. Now, back in 1988, I one time smuggled Bibles into China. That's another story if you want to talk to me about it. It's really a pretty cool story. But I ended up going and visiting the home of Samuel Lamb. Samuel Lamb had been in prison for 25 years for his faith in Christ, but he knew English very well. And when he got out of prison, he started to teach people English, because Chinese people, this was before Tiananmen Square, he started to teach people English. But he'd use the scriptures and Christian literature, whatever. People started coming to Christ. He ended up having a thousand people coming to his house for church, for worship. You say, man, he must have had a big house. Well, he had 200 a day, five days a week. So that's how he got the 1,000 people. And he told me, he said that when he preached, he'd preach an hour and a half. Now, don't worry, that's not going to happen today. But he preached an hour and a half. And then you say, well, why would he preach an hour and a half? Because they also did singing or whatever else they did. But he preached an hour and a half. Well, what was lacking in these young believers' lives? It was the same thing that the people in Antioch needed. They didn't have a solid foundation. They needed to be built up. So he taught them for an hour and a half every, well, five days a week, each group. He'd preach quite a long time because he wanted to build them up in the faith. 
They didn't have vacation Bible school. They didn't have Cooperstown Bible camp. They didn't have Sunday school. They didn't have Christian radio. They didn't have Christian book. They didn't have any of the things that we have to help us and nurture us in the faith. So it was important for them here to be built up. And that's what happened in China as well with Samuel Lamb. And by the way, when the communist officials would come to him, they would tell him, you can't do what you're doing. And they'd say, we're going to, they'd threaten him. And he said, you can't threaten me. You've taken everything I have. I don't have anything left. So they had no leverage with him. So let's go on. Let's see what happens next. Look at the next paragraph here in Acts chapter 11, verse 27. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that, they would certainly, that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world, and this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this, and this they did, sending in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. A third evidence of growth for this movement, it's evangelism first, it's discipleship second. But third, it's compassion ministry. They, were, they said, look beyond yourselves. There's a famine coming. You can give, and people gave proportionately as they felt called and led to give. Now, you guys have done that. With my wife coming up here, she heard about the, this gift the other day, and wow, what, how do you answer that? Because this work in India, there's going to be people now who are going to have, they're going to have a job, they're going to have a purpose. They won't be trafficked. Or maybe they're coming out of being a traffic situation. So that money that you gave is going to be freedom for people and freedom for their families. It's a wonderful thing that you guys did. So thank you. But compassion work, it's always an ongoing work. And it's, it's a means where the, the door is open for the gospel, where we can go and, and provide a need that a person has. And they say, well, why are you doing that? There's opportunities in Denham Springs, Louisiana. 90% of that, that community last August was flooded with about two feet of rain in three days. They have thousands of homes down there that need help. And your youth group is talking about maybe the last one or two weeks or so in June of taking the youth group possibly going down to Louisiana to help with these homes. That's what compassion work is. And you guys have had that with the flood in the past where people had to come and help you. But compassion should be an integral part of a church where we're not just concerned about ourselves, but people outside, whether believers or unbelievers. And there's enough of those things going on around the world where we can really help. Well, turn over to chapter 15. We'll kind of conclude with this part here. Chapter 15. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, a Manian who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. The fourth area of growth for this church in Antioch, which is also important today, I think, for a movement of churches, is to have leaders come together. You have five leaders here in Antioch. You have Barnabas and Saul and, and three other ones that are introduced. But what were they doing? 
they were coming together here in verse 2. They were ministering to the Lord and fasting. I'm not sure what ministering to the Lord means, if it's just being quiet, if they were singing, if they were praying. I'm not sure, but they, whatever it was, they were ministering to the Lord. They were seeking God first, and they were fasting, so they were skipping uh, some time of eating, but to seek the Lord and to worship him. It doesn't say that they were asking for anything, and they might have been, but it says they were ministering to the Lord, and when they were doing this, the Holy Spirit came. Now, I don't know if he spoke audibly or just they heard it in their minds, but they knew that the Holy Spirit was calling them to something special, and that was to send two of their five leaders out to be missionaries, Barnabas and Saul. And they ended up going out a few verses later, which now became the first missionary journey. So you see why this was a movement? It was persecution. It was witnessing. It was establishment of a church. But now you're sending your leaders out for the first missionary journey. And this is the Lord who's doing all of this. It goes back to Acts 1.8, where Jesus wants all of us to be his witnesses, to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit as came in Pentecost, but then to go out to the places where God calls us to be. I think that's an exciting thing what happened. So that's what took place in that first century. Well, what about today? And after this, I'm done, I promise. So what about today? with the movement of God, with, of refugees and of Muslims coming to Christ? What are some things that we can do or should do? We should focus, I think, on loving the refugees and sharing the gospel with them. Think, who are the refugees? Who are the Muslims? Who are the immigrants? Who are the international students here in Grand Forks? Do you know that most of them are never invited to a home of an American? Most of them never go into the home of a Christian? Think about what might God want you to do in that area this year. Hospitality is so important. Maybe focus on discipleship. Think of who are some young believing refugees or immigrants or international students who could really benefit, say, from a discovery Bible study. Who, who can you be a Barnabas to or a Barnaba, a woman, this year? Think about that. Focus on compassion work. What might God want you to do here in Grand Forks this year or in the neighborhood around your church or in North Dakota or United States or Haiti or some other place? Grand, you gave some wonderful gifts at Christmas, but what about now? What does God want you to do as a, maybe a family or as a church? Should you go out and do some ministry in Grand Forks? What are some of the needs? Well, what about developing leaders in refugee communities? That might be a hard thing to do. How can we mentor those kind of people? A couple of weeks ago, Kathy and I were in Austin, Minnesota. Remember, that's where they make spam. They have the spam museum. By the way, do you know that they have a new spam museum that's just one year old? They do. But they have a free church there, and right across from the road, there's an African church that meets in the afternoon. That's part of the, on the free church campus. And they're trying to develop these African leaders. Granted, they've got some pastors, but they're trying to develop them. Think, what might God want you to do in the area of development of leadership? So, kind of in summary here, what is God calling you to do in this movement of God today? With refugees, with Muslims, and maybe there are other movements that God's doing that I haven't talked about. You know, it's not just for us to sit back and relax and close our eyes and not do anything, but the Lord has us here for this time and purpose. What does he want us to do?
and for you to do. I pray this for my own self. Lord, what am I supposed to do special this year? What, What do you want for me? So what might God be calling you to do for yourself or to do ministry? Could be something with evangelism. Could be something with discipleship, being a mentor and encourager. Something with compassion. Something with developing leaders. Or maybe he's even sending you out to go someplace, like Barnabas and Saul. You know, it's an exciting time, I really believe, to be alive. We hear a lot of negative things on the news and protests and stuff, but there are people out there who are searching, who are hungry, who are looking for truth. And that's something we have. Now, I know you don't have a pastor yet, but that doesn't mean you can't get involved and do stuff. You don't just wait for a pastor to come. Of course, that'd be nice. And I pray for you for God's direction for the right pastor, senior pastor. But you don't have to just wait for a pastor to come. What does God want you to do as leaders, as members, as attenders, even as visitors? It's a great time to be alive because God is doing wonderful things today. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for this church, Faith Evangelical Free Church. Thank you for, Lord, their generous heart and giving. Thank you for their interest in missions. And Lord, we live in a wonderful time today of a movement of God that has never taken place before. How do you want us to respond to that? Lord, speak to us. Give us direction. Thank you for your word and thank you for the church in Antioch and all what you did there. Lord, may we grow and multiply and be used of you to be part of a great work of God in our generation. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Stop at Kathy's table. We'd love to visit with you. Have a wonderful day.